0: The new Super Beats Hard Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S dot com, and save 15% with promo code DEAL.
1: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser joins the Post to discuss her plans to reopen the city, the progress being made in getting residents vaccinated and the status of the push for D.C. statehood. Let's listen.
0: Good morning. I'm Jonathan K. part opinion writer for The Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live and another installment in our series Leadership During Crisis. The nation is starting to loosen up or completely open up after being in various states of lockdown for more than a year. The governors of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut announced this week they will reopen their states in two weeks. But what about the potential 51st state in the union? Joining me now is the eighth mayor of the District of Columbia, Muriel Bowser. Mayor Bowser, welcome back to Washington Post Live.
1: Well, thank you so much, Jonathan, for having me.
0: So, Mayor Bowser, I do these interviews all the time, and I've never received more email for one interview than for this one uh, on may 1st you oh, ordered wow. your oh yeah, you no, know, I'm not kidding around your order requiring guests at weddings and one time events to stay seated and socially distance went into effect the key part of the order for those who emailed reads standing and dancing receptions are not allowed why not and how will that be enforced
1: Well, Jonathan, actually what the May 1st order did was open those venues for the First time since the pandemic um, has affected us and affected uh, the world. Uh, I, we're very pleased that our businesses and residents have uh, strictly followed public health guidance that's allowing us uh, to begin to turn that dial and open up the city. So we have fans uh, in our sporting venues. Uh, we have a guest uh, at our restaurants, indoors and outdoors, our public facilities are opening. And yes, now we can. Have have regional uh, meetings and weddings in our convention center uh, and in our, uh, and in all of our hotel venues. Uh, We are very focused, however, on making sure we're maintaining physical distance. And that's been the case uh, throughout the pandemic.
0: So, I mean, even Maryland and Virginia are allowing dancing if you're masked and socially distanced. Why not allow for that, at least here in the district?
1: Well, we think and we expect um, that given our case rates and how they're going down even more quickly um, than we thought, uh, that we will be able to to ease restrictions across the board. And we're looking forward to being able to do that very soon. Um,
0: can you put a timeline on very soon? Or I mean, it's only May 6th. Could it be by before the end of this month, before Memorial Day?
1: Um, I think what we've seen and what we've done throughout the pandemic was look at the dates at which we turn up activity, um, which was on May 1st, watch um, what that could do to our case rates. They could go up or they can continue to go down, which we fully expect. And then after a reasonable time watching um, that turned up activity and what it does, then we can turn up more activity and that's what we expect. We've also been very focused since this vaccine is now um, plentiful uh, and in some cases exceeding uh, the demand that we see across the city. Uh, We have about 36 percent of our residents that are fully vaccinated. We know we've got to do a lot better in order to protect our residents. So it's not only that we want to get open, uh, we want to stay open. Uh, And the way to do that is to make sure that more and more people are getting vaccinated. I think the president is right to challenge us to look to July 4th, uh, to get to 60, 70% uh, vaccination rate among adults. I think we all need to stay focused on that. Turning up activity, yes, uh, but turning up vaccination is even more important.
0: Let's talk more about the changes you made to the city's mask mandate, because there was some confusion. Can you take us through those changes? What exactly are they?
1: Uh, there was some confusion. There was a mistake in an order that came out of our office, but there was not a mistake um, in the guidance issued by our health department. Uh, We've tried uh, to to stay in lockstep uh, with the CDC um, when it comes to to mask mandates, and we continue uh, to be uh, closely aligned with where they are. I think what our residents and everyone can appreciate is that outside activity, especially among your family, where you can be um, six feet apart, uh, you don't need uh, to wear a mask.
0: Uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York stunned many on Monday announcing plans to almost fully reopen by May 19th. New Jersey, as I mentioned before, New Jersey and Connecticut will join New York in that effort. What are they doing right that the district could or should emulate?
1: Well, I think they they have they were crushed by this virus, um, certainly early on, um, and we didn't experience that level of infection or or death or Um, have the experience that they had with with their hospital capacity. Um, So I'm I'm quite uh, proud of the district's response um, to COVID. Uh, We were um, very aggressive uh, in mask mandates and also um, restrictions that have kept our residents safe. Uh, we thought at the beginning of this, Jonathan, that by November of last year, we would have seen over, you know, you know, thousand, even thousands of more um, infections than we saw. And we thought that we would hit some really high death numbers. We were able to avert that experience, uh, flatten the curve, Uh, while providing relief uh, to our businesses. Uh, And our residents have been very, very supportive of of that approach. Uh, As we move forward, you know, I don't know all the details of the the health experience of of, of all the states, but I am very familiar with ours. Uh, And I'm very familiar with the reopen metrics that we uh, laid out. What we're very focused on is the level of spread in the community. And I have to say that over the last 10 days, since kind of the end of, you know, the late part of April to now, um, we've seen our case rates go down, uh, and and we have a, a, a metrics that you know is red, yellow, and green, uh, and it's fast approaching being in the green, which means we're getting closer and closer to not needing the types of business restrictions um, that we put in place.
0: So then, does that mean that the 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 limits on bars and restaurants that um, we have here in the district? could go the way of what Governor Hogan in Maryland has done, which is to completely lift the restrictions, uh, capacity restrictions in bars and restaurants?
1: I think that you will see the capacity restrictions go up. Um, and I think that we are going gonna to continue to be concerned about uh, physical distancing uh, inside. Outside, and as I explained to a lot of folks, and we should think about taking advantage of this wonderful weather. I say say to everybody, the outdoors is king right now. So how can we maximize um, our experiences outdoors? Uh, We made some pretty remarkable changes to the use of our public space in the pandemic. And I actually think that you're going to hear mayors uh, talking about reclaiming public space. That's certainly what we're talking about in the district. So now that we can make some of the things that we did really quickly to pivot um, permanent parts of our of our landscape. And we know that streeteries is one of them. Um, We have made a pretty uh, profound uh, proposal to change our alcohol regulations to also support how our restaurants can do business and how people uh, can experience uh, the public space.
0: Mayor Bowser, how worried are you about competition from Maryland and Virginia and other and other places that are opening up more quickly than Washington in terms of losing business? Uh, uh, Yeah, losing business to those jurisdictions.
1: Well, I'm concerned in the short term and I'm concerned uh, in the long term. Um, And I think that, you know, what's interesting to talk about is how in urban areas we're attracting uh, people uh, back, back to work and back to our downtown. What we haven't talked about today is how many people are going to be coming uh, to their offices. I'm in downtown D.C. right now. I'm at a WeWork location. Uh, We have a wonderful partnership uh, with WeWork. But I also know that a lot of our downtown employers, employees um, are um, doing various levels of remote work. Uh, And what makes cities so vibrant is the the people coming to their offices, uh, having the synergies among coworkers around projects. And so uh, we're challenging our team to make sure that we're getting more and more of our employees back. People frequently talk about reopening, Uh, without talking about workers Um, and rest is, we want our restaurants to be at full capacity just as soon as possible. Um, But I know they won't really be at full capacity because their customers, working at home. Uh, And so the way that we can make sure that everybody feels safe coming back to work is to crush this virus and get people vaccinated. Uh, We're also uh, very focused on um, bringing back our our tourists. Uh, The Smithsonian announced uh, last week uh, that they're o- opening um, throughout the month of May, all of our wonderful free museums, uh, and so that people are going to begin uh, to make trips who live in the region, uh, who live outside of the region, and take advantage of the wonderful free museums available in the nation's capital.
0: Earlier, earlier on in our conversation, you talked about some of the the good news in terms of um, uh, in terms of the metrics of what's happening with the virus in the district. Um, They're continuing to improve. Last week, you announced 10 new walk-up mass vaccination sites and everyone over the the age of 16 um, is eligible, but demand for the vaccine has fallen off. Why is that?
1: Yep. Well, we know uh, that we went through a a period where the, the vaccine was scarce and the vaccine eager. Um, we're really fighting to, to get in line and get the vaccine. And in a, in a matter of weeks, uh, Jonathan, that changed. All of the folks who are eager to get it have gotten it. Um, and now we need to work on making sure that people who need more information are getting information, people who have access issues, whether it's to the internet or to a, a, a ride, Um, are getting that access as well. Uh, And we are also encouraged by the news that we could have a vaccine for younger um, children um, from the age of 12 and up. And we have to make sure that all the systems are a go, so families know how to take advantage of the vaccine for their kids as well. But this this is the real work of public health and communication from public officials uh, to get people to get out and get vaccinated. We, um, for example, I think just last weekend, we had a door-to-door grassroots campaign uh, where we had, uh, you know, a thousand volunteers come out to knock on neighbors' doors to tell them, look, I had the vaccine. This was my experience. Uh, And this is how uh, we're able to get back to a better normal in our city when people are protected and get the vaccine.
0: Uh, Madam Mayor, according to a report in Washington City paper in December, here's a quote, preliminary local survey data from D.C. Health shows that about 44% of black residents polled were hesitant or resistant to getting the coronavirus vaccine. That was in December. Have those numbers improved?
1: I think they are improving. Um, and I think that uh, I, I like to make a distinction between the vaccine hesitant Um, which I think most of our residents fall into that category, and the vaccine opposed. I think we have a much smaller number of vaccine opposed. And I think the vaccine opposed uh, who are... African American aren't that much different than the vaccine opposed, who are um, who are white Americans. Uh, so that is the the group that we have to work on, or the hesitant, the people who uh, if the if they have a lot of information, if people they know encourage them, if it's convenient and close, um, then that they will get it. Um, and we're continuing to work with them. We're also thinking about. Uh, more incentives for our residents and workers, uh, and the places where vaccines are going to be required. Like, I'm a big proponent of what our universities are doing uh, and requiring their students to come back to D.C. fully vaccinated.
0: Now, in this this Leadership in Crisis series, we've interviewed a good number of mayors and governors uh, over the last year, and we often ask them what lessons they've learned during the pandemic. So, Um, what did you get right, and what do you think you missed during the last 14 months?
1: Oh, those are big questions, and I know people (laughs) are going to write about them for years to come, and I may be the wrong person to ask because we're still in the midst of it. Um, I know that one of the key things, and you'll like this as being a person in journalism, I think, um, is to just (laughs) communicate and over-communicate. Um and communicate some more. Um, uh, we went into this, Jonathan, uh, at the early part of the our response, but we were having daily press conferences. Um, and uh, our team, my my comms team, my agency directors, my emergency response team, and just in our Department of health have been just incredible at providing d c residents um, with data and the facts and all the things that they need to know uh, to keep themselves uh, safe. Uh, So that's one thing that we continue to work on uh, and continue to get right. Uh, We have also had a great collaboration with our legislative branch. um, And when you're operating in an emergency posture, having those lines of communication open uh, has helped us provide relief programs, like making sure unemployment programs are funded and working, the bridge program that we've done to provide local support to our restaurants and businesses. Um, that that has been really key uh, to our ongoing response.
0: Let's talk about statehood. Uh, the bill for D.C. statehood yeah. passed the House last, last month. Now it sits in the U.S. Senate, where uh, Democratic yeah. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia has said, He's not keen on voting on it. He thinks it should be done by constitutional amendment. He thinks that should be required, um, not by Congress. Is he right? And if not, what's the plan for Senate passage?
1: Well, let me just say this. I don't think we're in any different place than before those comments that Senator Manchin made. Uh, We were always going to have to get more support uh, in the Senate. Uh, what's different from the last time the house voted on DC statehood are is that we have two huge allies for statehood, and that's the President of the United States and Joe Biden, and now we have a Democratic majority um, led by Chuck Schumer. Um, And so as long as um, the Senate and the President is pushing for passage of DC statehood, uh, we're going to follow their lead and rely on them and their strategy to get big things done um, in the Senate, just like they were able to do Um, with the American Rescue Plan. You ask me if the senator was right in saying that uh, a constitutional amendment is required for D.C. statehood. He is not right if that's what he said. We know um, that all of the states outside of the first 13 have been admitted to the union by the Congress. It is the it is the exclusive power of the Congress uh, to pass by simple legislation on the admission of new states. Um, and so that is clear, that has been clearly made by constitutional scholars. Uh, we in our Admissions Act um, that is at the Senate now make very clear what the boundaries of the federal district will be. Um, and that is clearly stated and there's no constitutional ambiguity about it.
0: In your answer, you also raise a good point. Uh, you've got the president uh, backing statehood, Democrat. You've got the Senate Majority Leader backing statehood, Democrat. Ninety-three percent of Washingtonians voted for President Joe Biden in the in the November election. So, what do you say to the Republican opponents who say that granting uh, the district statehood is a quote unquote power grab? Do they have a point?
1: No, they don't have a point because we made the same argument when Republicans were in charge. For us, it's not a partisan issue. It's a matter of fairness and it's a matter if we're going to live up um, to our democratic par- principles. Um, our country was founded on the principle of people who are taxed sh- have to be represented. And in the nation's capital, We're being taxed and we're not represented. Um, There are a lot of misconceptions about what D.C. is. We're unique. We know that in the democratic system. Um, But what is true is that we pay more taxes than most. We're a donor to the federal government and that we pay more than we get back. Yet we do not have two senators. Our congresswoman does not have a vote. So literally when the important topics of the day are being considered and the Hill, you know, which many Washingtonians could look out their door and see the, the Capitol building. We don't have a vote. On January 6th, when our officers were called um, to assist the United States Capitol Police, where they were injured, um, where they put their lives on their line, they don't have a vote. They literally don't have a vote. Um, so that that's un-American. Uh, and it is within the power of the Congress to change it.
0: I'm going to go to an audience question here, and uh, Richard from Maryland, I will apologize in advance for messing up your your last name. Richard Zert from Maryland asks, Mayor Bowser, will you consider retrocession to Maryland, and if not, why not? That's actually a a position I believe Senator Susan Collins of Maine made last weekend on on CNN. Your answer to Richard's question.
1: So here's the question, would the senator from Maine um, consider going back to Massachusetts Likely not. Uh, We have a 200-year experience uh, with being uh, the nation's capital, an identity as the nation's capital. Uh, We've developed a government as the nation's capital. uh, And that is what the residents of the district sent me to do, um, to make sure that Washington, D.C. became the 51st state. We've had a referendum on this question, uh, and that referendum was approved by 86% of DC voters.
0: Let's talk about the events of almost a year ago, Um, nearly a year ago. Washington was the site of major protests after the murder of George Floyd uh, in Minnesota. Reflect on the role of then President Donald Trump in the charged atmosphere here. In Washington, then.
1: Well, you know, it's it's so incredible um, how different it is uh, in in the last five months of just having stable leadership uh, at the White House, and quite frankly, I don't even think I appreciated how p- charged and toxic um, you know a situation was that that we were living in uh but the the president um even you know before the protests began in in real numbers made some incendiary comments um that i found uh, to be racially charged and signaling what their true intent was days before um, the the protest began in earnest. Um, and we saw him kind of live out the rhetoric that he was spewing. He said something like, uh, we are going to unleash mm-hmm. violent dogs or, you know, look out, be on the, you know, so I, I knew then um, that it could be bad um, with this president, you know, inciting um, this is just violent uh, speech that was meant to trigger um, for many people a, a dark time in, in American history uh, where Americans experience police unleashing dogs on American citizens. And uh, I, I knew in, in the pit of my stomach what we had to brace ourselves for.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Black Lives Matter Plaza which um, was a genius move, I think I told you at the time, and a genius move that was emulated in other cities across the country. Yeah. Uh, but it also provided a focal point that helped keep demonstrators, which was a, a concern at the time, to keep demonstrators from spreading out across the city. Um, the name is stretched on 16th Street between um, H, yeah. H, H and K Streets Northwest. Um th- that stretch has been officially named, um, renamed Black Lives Matter Plaza. But are the big, bold, iconic yellow letters permanent on that stretch of Sixteenth Street?
1: Well, they are. Uh, in fact, right now we're undergoing um, a process to to make the installation more permanent, um, and with with lighting and landscaping um, and all the things that you I- expect in an iconic art installation. Uh, and you're right to point out, Jonathan. We had a, just an unprecedented experience with the president of the United States taking over on uh, D.C. streets. Uh, I had the experience of walking from my office at, at City Hall, over uh, to in front of uh, Lafayette Square, and seeing you know streets, our streets, DC streets, blocked by uh, unidentified federal forces with long guns. In uh, you know the clergy who were trying to to go uh, on a, on the walk, you know, just everybody was blocked. Um, and so uh, we thought, what a better way to not only take back our street and get them off of our street and keep them from blocking DC residents and members of clergy and anybody else who wanted to walk down the street, um, but to install um, this piece of art with a very affirming message that not only our residents needed to hear, but um, people around the world needed to hear. And they needed to make sure, and they really appreciated that Donald Trump couldn't avoid it. Um, And so, uh, we are going to uh, make that, that installation, and we're improving it actually uh, right now, and uh, it will be a permanent art installation in the district.
0: Um, I was there when you and now the late Congressman John Lewis, when he visited Black Lives Matter Plaza, it yep. was June uh, of last year. Can you reflect a little bit on what that yep. was like for you to be there with him?
1: Um, it is, you know, there there are a lot of great perks to a job like this, but I have to put that as as tops among them. I'd gotten a chance to to meet, uh, spend a lot of time with the congressman in Selma. Um, probably about a year, maybe two years before that, on, yeah, on the, I was on that the trip. pilgrimage to Selma, and yeah. it was amazing. Even then, I was struck by how generous he was with his time. I think what he knew and what maybe I underappreciated was, you know, he saw this as a time to educate leaders coming behind him and make clear to us that it's our turn. It's our turn to take the baton, exercise moral leadership and lead um, and do the right things to uh, make our country more fair uh, and more just. He uh, saw the importance not only of being at Black Lives Matter Plaza, um, and he knew, I think, that, you know, he was definitely facing uh, the twilight of his life. But it was also a full circle moment for him because he kind of looked at me and I don't know if you overheard him say he looked at one of the hotels, the Hilton there that's there in the corner, and he said, you know. That's where I stayed um, right before um, the the March on Washington. Um, At the time, he was the last living speaker. Um, from um, the March on Washington that happened uh, at the, the Lincoln Memorial when Dr. King delivered his, uh, his his famous words, and he he was just kind of I could see that he was reliving um, that moment, and it was a full circle moment for him. Uh, so we we know that he he's a son of the South, but I also felt um, privileged as the D.C. mayor that he he saw D.C. he had a place for D.C. Uh, in his heart too. Mm-hmm.
0: I want mean, to say we're running out of time, but I have to squeeze in two more questions. Um, um, okay. We just, uh, the council just made um, permanent Robert Conti, a veteran of the, uh, the the district's police force. They've yes. made him the new police chief. Um, what are his plans to address um, escalating violence in the district? It, the district hit a 16 year high in homicides in 2020. On Sunday, eight people. Um, were shot in Washington. What are his plans?
1: Well, you ask a a question that uh, all my colleagues in big cities are facing, um, increased levels of violence, while at the same time, all of us are working uh, with our residents, our legislators uh, to, to make sure that we're really looking at policing and making sure policing is focused on the things that are going to keep um, uh, our our residents safe. Um, So I have to answer your question in a a long way, um, that the police are focused on law enforcement, but all of the agencies of our government and, in, and I'm asking all of our communities, too, to be focused on how we can prevent crime. Uh, we started a new initiative called Building Blocks, um, which is focused, Jonathan, on the small number of people who are creating the most violence in our city and the relatively few locations uh, where most of that violence happens. Um, so in concert with our law enforcement efforts, Um, We're very focused on prevention efforts. And right now, um, thanks to the American Rescue Plan, we have uh, lots of uh, federal investments that are going to allow us to to focus on those intense efforts to try to change the trajectory of people who have been involved in cycles of violence.
0: All right, I'm going to give the last question to an audience member. And this last question comes from Scott Van Beck from Vermont. What's next for you politically? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, you know, I had the best job in Washington. You've heard me say that a thousand times. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm a two-term mayor. Uh, and that's saying something in D.C. Uh, I was the first two term mayor in 16 years in Washington. So uh, and I am incredibly energized um, by what the work we have ahead. COVID has been an impre- unprecedented demand on how how cities operate, and how city government operates. But what's going to be really fun and interesting is how we focus on our comeback. How do we bring back um, our beautiful downtown? How do we uh, help kids and families make up for the time lost in uh, in this last year? Uh, and how do we focus on a recovery that's more equitable? I think we this is gonna be some of the, the, the most interesting time in local government, and I'm just really proud um, to get to be the mayor of my hometown.
0: Muriel that's a long Bowser. answer to say. No, 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 <laughs> yeah. hey. At least you answered the question. But Muriel Bowser, yes. mayor of the District yes. of Columbia, but more importantly, Miranda's mom. Thank you very much yes. for coming back to Washington. Thank you, Jonathan. Post Live. Thank you. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Come back at 1 p.m. Eastern today when my colleague David Ignatius will discuss digital innovation during a global pandemic with the chairman and CEO of IBM, Arvind Krishna. You can always head to WashingtonPostLive.com to register and find more information about upcoming programs. Once again, I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Thank you very much for tuning in to Washington Post Live.
1: Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.